Lonely Girls, a podcast dedicated to examining, archiving, and applauding the loneliest girls in media and pop culture history. My name is Madeline Turner, uh, and I am just like standing on maybe like a hill or like um, the bow of a jet plane with um, wind flowing through my hair um, and tears in my eyes. Um, looking at my beloved, uh, 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 a, a sort of adorable animated sidekick that will sell tons of dollars in merchandise, mm-hmm. Rebecca Botter. <laughs> Hi, Maddie. How are you? I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really whimsical. I, I, have you seen me this excited to record something before? I feel like you were only this excited to record maybe like maybe like our Jane episode I feel like that's the one that we did the most like active pre-prep for where we were just like we're in it we're in it I I think maybe it's just the more prep I do uh, the the more more excited excited I get um not to we've done a lot of prep okay yeah so um so so um and what have we done prep for Rebecca what are we where are we discussing in today's episode oh I'm so excited uh this week we're talking about Studio Ghibli and um and obviously focusing on Miyazaki but the Studio Ghibli uh canon and Mm. as a whole through the lonely girl lens through the lonely girl lens and what a feast of lonely girls we have oh my gosh ahead of us we really, yeah, we really, really, really do. I'm, I'm incredibly excited to talk about this. Um, but before we do that, as mm. always, as always, we must um, discuss our lonely girl moment of the week. Yes. Uh, would you like me to go first, or would you like to go first? Uh, you go first. Okay. So, my lonely girl moment. I was thinking about it uh, this morning as I, uh, as Rebecca can attest, I planned on waking up much, much earlier than I did, and uh, my alarm didn't go off or did go off, I don't know, and I woke up, and I was in a panic, and so I was actively prepping for this episode while I was, like, sort of panicking and making my coffee, and I was like, okay, okay, Maddie, like, um, sense memory, like, let's, let's put ourselves in, like, our, our most lonely girl state and, like, go back in time and feel, like, Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's when that moment hit the hardest this week. Um, and it made me think I already shared this story with you. (laughs) Um, but I think it's so, it's so unbelievably lonely girl that I, um, I'm just going to share it again. So to, to the, to the listeners at home, I last year picked up just like a really delightful habit, um, of in inhaling, um, to, to lit tobacco, fiery tobacco in my lungs. Ian decided on my birthday this year. I, I basically started smoking, like being a full-time smoker on my birthday last year, on my birthday this year. I was like, okay, you gave yourself a year of being a smoker. You know this isn't good for you. You know, like, 
you just, Maddie, you know, you should not be smoking cigarettes. You, you were going, you went through a phase, you did the phase. Um, and now it's time to kick the habit. And so the last cigarette I smoked was on (laughs) the evening of April 17th, um, at 1159, last cigarette smoke. And, uh, and so I've been free from cigarettes and, and had actually quit like about a week or so prior to that. But I was like, I need to have my final cigarette right before my birthday. But this week I went out, um, for the first time I was, you know, it was just sort of a, uh, on Saturday it was like, what are we going to do? I'm going to go out. So I went out with my friend, Sari, friend of the podcast. Love Sari. Hi, Sari. And it was the first time I'd really like gone out, out without being a cigarette smoker. And I, I think compounded by a couple other things, but I was feeling so, I was feeling it so hard because usually there's nothing I love more in the world than going out of the bar when everyone's in the bar and having my, you know, sad, lonely girl cigarette. Uh, And I wasn't able to do that. And I was, I was just sort of like, lamenting to Sari and I was saying like I just want a cigarette I just want this I just want I just want to like flirt with someone I just want like someone to like come up to me and there and we just have like a fun conversation and it's just like ooh, I'm alive I'm living I love it Uh." and Sari's like yeah yeah yeah, for sure I get it like I want that for you too and I'm not kidding within like mm, like five minutes after me saying that these two literal children come up to Sari and I and start like aggressively, like like sloppily um, trying to like flirt with us and trying to like get our numbers. Um, and we entertained it for like a second because it was just so funny. Um, and and Sari was able to sort of politely, not politely, tell them to like go away. <laughs> um, they were fine. And afterwards, Sari was like, see, you got what you wanted. And I'm like, Sari, no, no, that's not what I wanted at all. I don't, I wanted to, no, no. She's like, I don't know. It, it seems like you got what you wanted. And I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And so I, my lonely girl moment of the week was really like in my woes and really, you know, um, expressing a want for something, immediately getting it and being like, ew, no, that's not what I want at all. I hate this. And also, I can't believe, I can't believe 24-year-olds, that's all these boys were, like, look like babies to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, it really did feel like I was being hit on by my little brother's friends. It was I, like, it was horrifying. I, I went on a date. Um, this, I mean, I don't know, this isn't my lonely girl, but I went on a yeah. date with a guy around that age mm. kind of recently and, um, funniest, funny. It was so funny because he, he was trying to tell me he didn't want to date me. And I was like getting super like hanging out with my little brother's friend yeah. vibes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, it's okay. It's okay. You don't, you, you don't, don't need no, no, to like it's okay. put up the boundary. No, like no, no. I promise. And then he said, at one point, I really look up to you. And I just was like, no, I, und- I know, I know you don't want to date me, sweetie. I know, like, please no, stop no, no, like, hurting like, my feel. I know stop you think hurting- I'm old. 
Yeah, no, no, no. Like, we can stop this. Yeah, we can... it's, it's okay. It's okay, honey. Honey, no, it's totally fine. No, we'll call your mom. Like, it's totally fine. It's okay. She'll pick you up. Don't yeah. stop. stop crying. It's okay. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, he was a very, he was a very nice boy. But yeah, um, yeah, being yeah. told by your date, a quote unquote, uh, that he looked up to you. Yeah, um, that's a is, very. Um... Uh, take the knife out. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was my lonely girl moment. Rebecca, mm-hmm. what was what what is what is your lonely girl um experience been this week? Actually, um I'm changing it. Surprise, surprise. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but uh yes. I got a new job. Uh but it's you not did. what y'all Congratulations. Think. Congratulations. Thank oh thank you, thank you. So I uh work at a bridal shop. I still work at a bridal shop. Uh but I got a car recently and they're really expensive. Yeah. And so on my days off, I was like, I need a job where I do nothing. I don't want to learn a new skill. I don't want to even be there that long. Yeah. I, I have a podcast to produce. <laughs> I have a I have a, I have a beautiful cat at home. I have a beautiful, which who is sitting in my lap right now. And, um, so uh, when I was a dumb little 20, I was a terrible employee, probably 21. Um, I worked at paper source in Chicago at the flagship store. Actually, I was a terrible employee and someone was like, Hey, there's a paper source in walking distance of you. And I was like, that is the easiest job in the world. And the pay is terrible. Yeah. (laughs) The pay is terrible. Uh, there is like, I, my shifts are like four hours, but oh. I'm going back to this job where I've passed the store in the past and been like, uh-huh, I used to work there, but now I'm cool. And it's not even hello, former life. Hello. Hello. Now it's me. And this isn't even like a slice of, uh, like humble pie. Maybe like if I'm working there on my, uh, my birthday coming up in July, maybe I'll have a meltdown, but I'm at yeah. a point where I just was like, whatever, dude, I need to pay off my car. Yeah. Like, I just, I'm going to do it. And it, uh, like, at one point working at Paper Source was probably a stressful job for you. And now yeah. it's like. It's it's whatever. And it, like, used to be a big deal. And now I'm just like, I, it is fine. And, um, yeah, so, like, returning to something that uh, I thought I was not too good for, but thought mm-hmm. I was done with. Mm. And then returning with a sense of um, ambivalence, mm. I think mm. is, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's showing growth by showing no growth. <laughs> oh, it's like, it's like the same on the outside, but on mm. the inside, everything's different. It's like getting yeah. back with an ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Or, or actually maybe seeing your ex that you cried over. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and then you're like, yeah. oh, I'm actually like fine. I, sounds, I like, they're like really nice. Sounds yeah. Nice. Or like they're trying to be like really gentle with you and you're like, no, 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 no I'm fine. No, no, no. I'm, oh, like, I'm, I'm actually totally fine. I don't want to date you. And I'm so aware of my own growth by reentering into having you reenter my life. Yeah. So it's so different. So that's, um, so I think yeah revisiting almost childhood I feel like I was a baby when I was there last time speaking of it was good thank you you want to say it um hey Maddie oh yeah speaking of revisiting childhood oh my gosh let's start talking about our topic this week okay okay so we are (laughs) 
We are delving into the world of Studio Ghibli and then more specifically Hayao Miyazaki. Um, although the studio was started by three individuals, I believe that everyone across the board would say that Hayao Miyazaki is sort of the um, poster child, the, the sort of um, is, is the essence and the heart of Studio Ghibli. I, um, both of us have done so much research. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to do like a crazy deep dive into his biography. I'm going to talk a little bit about his life and kind of leading up to being the animator on tour that we know and love. But just so you guys know, if you literally type in Haya Miyazaki into YouTube, into the internet, you're going to get about like 15,000 bite-sized digestible videos that will tell you anything and everything about um, his life and his films and why they matter and who he was. So if we do not cover anything in depth, oh boy, are, do you have... In for a treat. Do you have... the Basically, what I've learned this week is that if you make YouTube videos, you also like Studio Ghibli. Yes. It's just there's there's I no no crossover or um only crossover only crossover. Okay, so really quick, I have teeny teeny tiny Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, he was born in uh, the 1940s, January 5th, 1941, to be more specific. He was born essentially in the middle of World War II or at the beginning of World War II. And so most of his early childhood memories are sort of these like war-torn bomb sites, um, a real, a real sort of deep understanding of what war does psychologically to people around you, what war does on like a physical, biological level or an ecological level, um, and also a society dramatically shifting from a more traditional uh, way of living into kind of an industrial revolution of sorts. Uh, One thing to note that's really important is his father was a director of an airplane company. Uh, It's a theme that you see almost like almost there, there will be a film that has nothing to do with aircraft flight uh, airplanes, anything, and he will. Oh my gosh, that man loves to throw an airplane into something. He loves the plane. He loves planes so much, and I didn't know this. And uh, like, I've watched Miyazaki films my whole life, and I had no idea that his father made airplanes. It makes so much sense. He like he he Miyazaki grew up around airplanes. It was his father took his job very seriously. He was a very serious man. And that's something from his early childhood that shows up a lot. Another aspect of his childhood that shows up a lot is that his mother was incredibly sick with tuberculosis when he was a child. And she did end up surviving, but you have films like My Neighbor Totoro, which is almost like a direct adaptation of his early childhood and him and his brother kind of wandering around and and sort of dealing with the trauma of a mom being really sick for a season of your life, uh, especially when you're really young. There's not a ton of information about, like, what his life was like 
until he started working in animation, but he went to high school. He loved animated films. He he fell in love with like the protagonist of this one film when he was very young and he he basically just decided that like that's what he wanted to do. He originally went and thought he was going to go into creating graphic novels like manga, but it ended up pivoting into animation and so he cut his teeth in a very popular animation studio at the time, an anime studio, and he worked on such television series as Lupin the Third, Pippi Longstockings, and then the last one that he worked on, crazy enough, before he started Studio Ghibli, was Anne of Green Gables. Did you know I that? D- I didn't know he worked I know. on Anne of Green He Gables. worked on Anne of Green Gables, which... Uh, <laughs> I had actually thought to myself that they would be such a great pair. I was thinking earlier, yeah, yesterday actually. Yeah, so he that was, makes um, so much yeah, sense. he he was part of the team that put that together, and so he created his first feature, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. It ended up doing really well. It's his only feature, like direct director's feature, that was created outside of Studio Ghibli. I think it was like financed independently, and then because of that, he and his two partners were able to create Studio Ghibli. And now, like, Nausicaa is just part of the Ghibli canon, but it wasn't originally released mm-hmm. under Studio Ghibli. And so... St- Do you know what Ghibli's named after? I don't. Please tell me. <laughs> A plane. Okay. Trigger warning plane. Tr- <laughs> trigger warning Canada for Anne of Green Gables. And, True. Trigger uh, warning planes. Trigger warning planes. That's this entire episode is just There's planes a- and, and biological hazards or ecological hazards and moral and moral quandaries. And then very, very powerful older women. Oh my gosh. Um, powerful older there women. There are so many grannies. But, oh my gosh. Um, one little story from his childhood is there was one point, I believe his mother and himself were like in a in a car or something and a woman and a and a baby were, mm. were trying to and correct me if I'm getting some of the details wrong uh, do you know it really yeah specific? so they were okay. yeah so it was a situation where I believe there were fires or there was some there was something happened I believe I I can't imagine it didn't have something to do with the war and his family had to flee a certain area and they got in a car and there was a woman and her baby who asked to get a ride with them he was really young he was probably like five years old maybe and his family chose to leave the woman and her child behind and he says it's he remembers it to this day and it's the thing that haunts him the most yeah and I think like what we discussed last week on the Anne of Green Gables episode is I think all creators have something often that they're trying to rewrite in their Mm. own work Absolutely. Um, And I don't know, like as someone creating something, I've found that I accidentally have a shtick that I keep, I'm obviously trying to reprocess. No, it's it's like, it's, I'm not even trying and I'm coming back to the same theme of something over and over or like the same relationship dynamic that I'm trying to understand or repair over and over and over again. He's trying to repair that wrong. Yeah. And I think he keeps putting his characters in situations where they are able to make the other choice they're able to make the right choice and and we one thing that he says about his films which i think is so important to the philosophy of Hayao miyazaki is that there are no good or bad people there are only choices and consequences that has been haunting me all week Truly. I do think I do think it is it is so we can dive into this because essentially what happens after he starts Studio Ghibli is he 
devotes his entire life to his work. He does get married. He has a son, but he is he barely. <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> Miyazaki it is, and I've I've talked to a few people about this. We've had this conversation with a few people before, where we're like, I have never loved a creator more and had less of a desire to ever encounter them in person. Like mm. I. I think his work has impacted my my creative sensibilities and my ability to imagine and world build and uh, have dynamic characters. And I never, ever, 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 ever want to meet that man ever in my life. Yeah. He does make being an artist feel kind of like hell. <laughs> or like a curse. Yeah. Almost. And it seems it's only compounded in his old age. I do wonder, though, if it is kind of like a he it's a it's a privilege that he's now allowed to be as like angry and tortured as he wants to be. Yeah, he's just like, I'm I want to be tortured. And when you're in a (laughs) I feel like until you've made something truly great, you're not allowed to be tortured about it. I there's this one piece of one of the docs where they're showing because pretty much y'all all week, I've either been watching Ghibli films or when I can't sit and watch Ghibli, I'm listening to video essays on Ghibli. Mm-hmm. But there's this beautiful moment because really like the animators, I feel like are more of the actors than the voices. Yeah, truly. But um, acting and um, in the animation, it's all about empathy. And he often shows characters who by society standards are weak. Or um, there's something wrong with them. And he is very focused on showing empathy. Mm. And there is a time where at the studio they show him AI generation generated like uh, someone walking or crawling on the floor. It was very weird and grotesque. But um, he was so appalled and disgusted by it because he he said that that this is disgusting because it shows no empathy to the characters and the people we are portraying Mm. and creating and you have taken the humanity out of this Mm. and he is repulsed by it which also he has a great relationship with john lasseter of pixar so i think it's not always just like that but like he takes the art so seriously because he is often portraying characters who are not shown with empathy and he takes that very seriously and almost but like as a burden to be honest yeah i i'm always really fascinated by you guys rebecca's got a cat sleeping on her lap right now i do uh so with Miyazaki to just kind of like close out his section and we'll come back to him a lot because we're about to dive into the the Ghibli filmography uh he has often um said that he is creating this is my last feature this is the last one I'll do he's done that for like a decade six times yeah and that I love I love that he's like he he's so he is his entire world is his work and he is trapped by his artistry and it's also the only thing that compels him to keep living and i and he's 87 i think it's really that's incredible apparently they're working on a film right now that will uh, is is a return to traditional hand-drawn animation because they've been using uh, for the past couple films, they've been using computer-generated rendered animation. And it's just, it's like absolutely sucks the life out of it. So they're like now in the process of hand-drawing, but in a more detailed and more complicated and more like frames per second way than they've ever done before. And so they're like five years away from ever, like they've been working on this for X amount of years and 
they they need more years to finish it. So this I do this might be his last work, but he is actively working on something right now, and it's supposedly going to be like the most the the biggest endeavor that has ever been. I wonder if it can out Miyazaki. The wind rises, though. Oh my gosh! About a man who doesn't want war, designs planes, designs planes, and falls in love with of tuberculosis. A woman who dies of tuberculosis. A beautiful, gentle, frail woman who dies of tuberculosis. Oh, um, y'all, we're spoiling any uh, oh yeah, sorry. any Ghibli film. So, just if if you yeah. if there's like there's, one that you don't want us to ruin, just you know, just close listen. your ears. Yeah, and uh, that is essentially that is essentially Mr. Miyazaki uh, in his true essence. Rebecca, how were you introduced to Studio Ghibli? How did that, it come into your life? I, in college, I took a film class um, where the teacher, it was like on a late night and he just showed us whatever movie he wanted to. And I, yeah. That was it. Um, the only two I remember are uh, Splendor in the Grass and... Splendor in the... Oh, oh, those... <laughs> I thought you were saying <laughs> Ghibli films. No. I was like, Splendor in the Grass then... <laughs> That totally sounds like it sounds. Like I know that. it really does. <laughs> and then um, he showed us uh, Princess Mononoke, and I was just very—I uh, wouldn't even say I was immediately obsessed and just like I have to have more. I just was very taken aback where I was like, "No, I have never seen anything." Yeah, like it's this like before. what? It's sort of like there's almost a discomfort, but like yeah, because uh, like it's, like- it's it's the bloodiest. And, and also, I think, like, we are so conditioned to, like, traditional Western storytelling beats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you are first encountering Ghibli films, the way that it just we have completely different Eastern and Western storytelling is derived from completely different, like, sources. Mm-hmm. And so what they value and the way that they sort of process characters is just so different. I, I also am very curious to learn one day if this is a very Japanese way of telling stories or if this is a very Ghibli and Miyazaki way mm. because I don't have anything, I, I haven't consumed any other Japanese it's, media, not it's really. Definitely, it's definitely, I would say, there's a very Japanese sensibility to the way that he crafts his stories and even the things he chooses to adapt though they come from japan loves the western world they love uh anne of green gables (laughs) they love anne of green gables but the way that he the even the existing ip that he chooses to adapt the way that the story gets shifted it it comes from a very 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 a very japanese sensibility so you were introduced to yes and and also i so i called my little uh my brother who will not be named because he's a very private person. yes um but my i called my brother before we hopped on this call because i was so high on ghibli and i wanted to talk about ghibli so bad. and he he loves and ghibli he loves ghibli so what's so sweet is my brother was has this obsession of his started about two years ago where um maddie's met my family and i wouldn't say we're a very ghibli family no but, um no. But, and i've uh, met your brother and he does not strike me as a very ghibli guy and he so loves and ghibli. i love that i love that so much he so he shows can you imagine my dad being made to watch when marnie was there and because he has and my parents are just like they're like right. i don't get it 
But since my brother is everyone's favorite, we'll just yeah. sit and watch it. So um, through him, I watched My Neighbor Totoro. I watched When Marnie Was There. I watched Castle in the Sky. Um, I've watched Porcaroso? a few other. Uh, no, Porco Rosso I watched on oh. my own. So I watched five before this, uh, before we decided to do a Ghibli episode. And then since Saturday and today is Wednesday, y'all, I have watched eight. Eight Ghibli more. Films. So you've watched, thir- you've seen 13 Ghibli films in total, which is yes. pretty good. Thank you. Um, and my brother, I, can, do you think I should read that message he sent me? What no, are the reasons? I, no, he's too private. So anyways, I have been really intimidated to talk about Ghibli because my brother does take it very, very seriously. seriously. As, lo- as a lot of Ghibli fans do. And so I being uh, insecure that I'm not intellectual enough. But as someone who loves research, it's kind of a conundrum. Yeah. I have, we have wanted to cover Ghibli for, for but it was like, since the beginning. But we, Since the beginning. Yeah. But I really wanted to do it justice. So I will watch the other nine. I promise y'all. But um, <laughs> I've had so much fun. You uh, have. And I've had Ghibli. So- I've had so I have been a Ghibli fan for a very long time as as are all the things that I am truly impacted by um the the person who began or or so like all things that I was impacted by the person who really fostered my love of Ghibli is of course my mother who had been a fan of Ghibli since they released Princess Mononoke in America in uh, since uh, Disney. Yeah, it was not originally released by Disney, but was eventually acquired by Disney. Uh, and so all of the Studio Ghibli films are technically Disney films because they exist within the you know the umbrella of of, of Disney. But my mom was so. I, it, I think it's just something that she was so captivated by. The visuals and the storytelling and the sort of gentleness and sweetness and... And lyrical is, I think, a word I would use for mm, a lot of his films. Absolutely. my fir- The first film that I saw was Spirited Away. Uh, I was shown it, uh, like, a, we had a student of the month thing in my fifth grade class. And if you were a student of the month, you got to show the class uh, a film of your choice. And there was this girl who was obsessed with Ghibli and no one knew what it was this was like it was still very indie underground it was not the sort of corporate mega 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 thing that it it is now and I remember watching Spirited Away and there being such disparate reactions amongst the other 10 year olds in my class and I remember not even being like I love this because I don't think I even knew how to process it but I just remember being like I couldn't get it out of my head mm-hmm. like I more it, like it, what is this what is this and so then sort of telling my mom like hey I watched this film and I loved it my mom was like amazing this is yes. this is going time this is the start of something new and my mom is like you where she loves to research and so I have such vivid memories of my mom sitting at our computer in the kitchen. We had a family computer in the kitchen and her watching 
the behind the scenes and the documentaries about Studio Ghibli and renting like the really deep cuts from uh, Netflix because that's when Netflix had DVD rentals. And so Ghibli is a huge, huge part of the ecosystem of my family. It's the one thing that all of us are equally excited to watch and have opinions about and like we'll just we'll watch these films over and over and over again and we just love them so Ghibli is a very and and I think I was really impacted by Miyazaki as a creator I remember him I remember there being an interview or something that I overheard and my like as my mom was listening to it and he was talking about how he didn't consume any television or movies he just he he's influenced by nothing but his own imagination and I always thought that was so it makes a lot of sense and it was so incredible that 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 was his discipline as he no longer consumes external Mm -hmm. media just books I guess which I love because I think his structure there really is nothing like it and I think he doesn't feel as enslaved to the save the cat narrative Mm, absolutely Um, yeah he's he's his own beast I also really I think spirited away which I'm spirited away was the one second so spirited away came out in 2001 and I believe that spirited away was kind of the the beginning stage of like the globalism of Miyazaki films and and them being something that both eastern and western audiences consumed it is the highest grossing film in japan of all time which is so crazy that is such a crazy uh, thought to me and i love that it stars a little girl mm-hmm. it's so, i mean there was nothing more exciting to me than a little brat um being stuck in a in a in, in the spiritual realm and having to learn how to be a, a nice good girl and he said he specifically, like, didn't want her to be pretty. Like, no. I think she's perfectly cute. Yeah, but, she, but she's not, like... He was just like, don't make her too pretty. Yeah. And, um, which I think is great, because I think beauty is a way that we can, without realizing it, be made to root for a character. If it's Absolutely. a really cute kid, and instead there's no reason, quote-unquote, to root for her, except for you come to really care about her. Um, and obviously, a child. You yeah, don't want and she, her to like, and she grows. Die immediately. I don't know. There are some children out there where you're like, oh my gosh. Davy. Like Dakota Fanning in War of the Worlds. Oh, haven't, cat, haven't seen cat behind a, me. All, all the cats. Um, but yeah, uh, so. And also, for people who maybe are less familiar with Ghibli, probably if you've heard of any, um, maybe you've probably already Googled it. But the top three, and I think the reason Miyazaki is the most. Um, in like the most synonymous synonymous the most synonymous with Ghibli is because the top three were written and directed in original ideas by Miyazaki which is Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, and Princess Mononoke Mm -hmm. which are all original ideas from his brain yeah yeah so the first let's kind of go through these films and talk about our thoughts and i'll announce at the beginning if i've seen it or not there will be nine i have not seen so we have nausicaa of the valley of the wind have not seen i actually watched that one i hadn't seen it i'd only seen it maybe once it's a very traditional action flick which i is such a 
sort of a tentpole of early Miyazaki films are these like high intensity action sequences with a lot of um, a lot of fighting, a lot of more traditional. Planes. Well, I mean that's that carries throughout. We we have no we can't escape the planes. No the planes shortage. will always be. We have no shortage of planes. But it was adapted from a graphic novel. It's it's really it's a really cool cool film. I I I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. And I and it stars a a young girl, a sixteen year old princess, which is always really exciting. I love that his films star women. I think that's one of the big things that really drew me to his mm. films is feeling feeling like even though they were written and directed by a man um they were very much for me mm. mm-hmm. and really respected my authority and my power as a woman well in spirited away it was inspired by a certain girl and at each choice the little girl makes in the film he goes would that girl or her friends have made that choice and yeah. he like would like think about that and ask that question at every step in this character's journey mm. so he was really trying to honor yeah that. he's it's very he, he you can tell he, he has a seriously. lot of he has a lot of reverence for women because of his mom is yeah. what a lot of people say so the next film and this came out in 1986 was castle in the sky i have seen um i'm i wasn't crazy about it yeah in the ranking it might be one of my lowest there are great bits i love the grandma pirate with the braids but i yeah. don't remember particularly loving it it's Maddie? definitely a more traditional action 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 flick mm-hmm. uh, and it is adapted from uh, again adapted from a graphic novel i do really love there are some really common themes of the earth and technology coexisting and Mm -hmm. that's sort of the balance of that relationship of our need to progress as a society while also still respecting the the ancient power that is nature Mm -hmm. and how we often are at complete odds with it but there is I think his his hope and his message that you hear through it with his characters and how they accomplish things is that there is a way of achieving harmony Mm -hmm. we can still progress while still respecting nature the earth and nature and because the technology in the film we find out wasn't to hurt the nature on this uh, castle that they go to yeah. but the, the robots or whatever were taking care of nature so yeah. it was a symbiotic relationship which no which one is, really yeah and it yeah. you know it man's hubris is the thing that ego is the thing that destroys the mm-hmm. the earth in 1988 we have two films have you seen grave of the fireflies no oh my gosh it is literally the most depressing film ever it is it's one of those films that like i wouldn't even recommend watching because it's so depressing it's well, I, i'll watch probably with my brother at some point i it, it's it's really it's one of those ones where it's it's like people will unknowingly go into it being like oh a Ghibli film how how sweet and and come out absolutely traumatized it's a war film yeah it is and it 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 doesn't have a ton of fantastical elements Mm -hmm. it's got a little bit of magical realism but it's not like a a fantasy film Mm -hmm. also I guess his first without a fantastical element well so this isn't um this isn't his this is uh Takahata which yeah and I was gonna say Takahata usually does more like realism yeah, yeah. than fantastical. So in 1988, we also have My Neighbor Totoro, 
which I think is probably one of my favorites. The role of I th- being a big sister and the the frustration and the absolute adoration and the the complete disregard for your own needs to keep your younger siblings safe. I just related to that so hard as a little kid and the idea of your imagination kind of blending in and out of your real life and the things you used to cope with this very difficult experience as a young kid really resonated with me uh, with my neighbor Totoro and I read somewhere that like the kids were very good for the most part and very sweet Mm. and there was the criticism from his creative team that like kids aren't really like this like this isn't real childhood and then Miyazaki because it was his childhood pretty much um him his and his brothers and he was like well that was me so yeah, kind of so, like shut up. <laughs> like, I also I've I I've met many a many a child. I actually I love Totoro and re-experienced my neighbor Totoro when I was a nanny for two sisters, and the older one was exactly like. Oh, hold on. I do I uh, I do want to look up the the names. I know the younger one is May, but I don't remember the older one. It's Satsuki and May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Satsuki and May, uh, two little girls that I used to nanny, they loved my neighbor Totoro and they were so exactly that dynamic of the two sisters. And they are like the children in my neighbor Totoro and how they act is so completely plausible. We have our next one, which is Kiki's Delivery Service. Did you end up watching Kiki? Yes, I felt like I had to. I felt like Kiki, it was one of those movies where... Before I knew anything about Ghibli, I think I knew a lot of girls who were like, I'm so Kiki, I'm Kiki, and... I, it's so... I mean, she's such a cute... Like, as a little girl, mm-hmm. the big red bow and the dress and, like, the witch's broom yeah. with the little cat is so cute. It's a very it's a very cute movie. I think it... You can see maybe some Anne of Green Gables influences. Yeah. I think this is maybe one of the first ones where I could say, like, definitely a lonely girl. Oh my gosh. She even has a such a lonely girl. She has a line where she says, like, even when I feel like I'm fitting, or I'm paraphrasing, but like, uh, even when I think like people are nice and I feel like I'm fitting in, then I start feeling like an outsider. And um, it is such a lonely girl. It's such a lonely girl. And I, I think there, I, I rewatched Kiki this week and I was really struck by how just small stakes it was Mm. and I really love like you see after especially after my neighbor Totoro which is very it's grounded in real life and it's magical realism Uh, and then we get into Kiki's delivery service it's these much like smaller softer stories that don't have these you know big explosions and kind of I mean I don't know if there are necessarily a big airplane element in Kiki's Delivery Service, but the aspect of flying, I think, is very Miyazaki. Tombo wants to fly. Tombo's obsessed with flying. Well, there we go. Um, There we go. And And the idea of, of working hard and, like, not being very good at what you're doing at first and figuring out your your talent and how to yeah. and and I think like there was an essay I listened to on like how Kiki is the millennial experience absolutely and so much of it is like use your creativity even though like you, you are not doing like your peers aren't yeah. having to work or maybe are more financially successful but you have something inside of you you're trying to express and then I love there's a concept called ma 
that Miyazaki really focuses on, which is um, mm. the pause in between the claps. And, oh, um, yes. and I think in Totoro, when they're waiting under the umbrella for such a long time, worried oh. that their father is also never going to come back. Or then in Kiki's, where they're waiting for the herring pie to, to bake, and that yeah. stakes are so personally high, but it's just waiting for a pie to finish for about 15 minutes. And like the time he takes with things. And it's so, I think it, that's what makes his films feel so real Mm -hmm. it's just the idea of that Mm -hmm. like the sort of the agony of of every moment and the sort of like the lived in experience of of all the small moments like he's so good at that I'm going to be late like that is truly a stressor we're under every single day and it's a very Uh. human experience that you're going to be late and it's very stressful yeah okay so we have our next one which is a, a takahata film which is only yesterday which i really love i just watched very, it a, a very lonely girl yes. and i just woke up yeah. this morning and watched it and and watched I, yes. it yes and it's also a very cute love story it is I, I i didn't realize that it was gonna be a love story and then i was like this is really adorable this is really cute and also it's um it's done really quietly and I was yeah. a little underwhelmed I will be a uh, uh I will admit it and then yeah. they used I've never seen anyone use the closing credits to truly close out the film it wasn't yeah. like here's maybe some pictures that'll show what yeah. it will be like in a few months it's like no 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 we're actually we're actually don't miss the end credits yeah. because Please you actually stop. will not feel you won't feel like the film has ended yeah and the very you will, you will feel the, you'll literally miss the ending but the very human yeah. way that the love interest at the end he knows she's coming back and it's unsaid mm-hmm. but she's coming back for him mm-hmm. and he runs towards mm-hmm. her and then stumbles over um no, a kid but it's complicated and then how he falls into her arms is just it's really how they really how they discuss love is really sweet but um so what is what is almost what what is it like yesterday what's it called again only yesterday only yesterday um is a film where we're in parallel um art i feel like they're illustrated timelines yeah uh, yeah timelines where it's memory and vignettes yes and... and but what i think is interesting what is the main character's name i can't remember anyone's name let me check sometimes i don't feel like i have to say it in this one it's kind of confusing yeah um Teiko. Teiko. okajima so we're seeing modern day Teiko, who's 27 which Maddie and I were talking, we don't see very many 27-year-old, not young and, mom characters. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, especially, especially as like a central character. But anyways, you don't see a lot of 27-year-old leads who are just living their life. And then we're reflecting back on her in fifth grade, literally like attending an assembly where they learn about periods. And for 20 minutes, a huge plot point is girls are like, don't let anyone know I'm on my period. And like, it's so, it's so, it's so, that's so, it's so real. real. And it's so real. It's so real. And actually that was the top grossing film in Japan for that year. That year? That year. Oh my God. And like, that's I think so... Studio Ghibli was like, I don't know how that happened either. Okay, guys. Cool. <laughs> Would definitely recommend mm-hmm. Only Yesterday. It's a very soft watch. It feels very, it feels like it caters to an older audience, mm-hmm. but can definitely still be enjoyed by a younger one. We have our next one, 
which is a Miyazaki film. This is one that I have not revisited, um, and I don't remember it that well, but I know you did revisit it. It's Porco Rosso. I just finished Planes. It, but, but Trigger warning, Planes. Trigger warning, Planes. Um, one of the greatest confusions is I have an 11-year-old and a 15-year-old younger brother and sister, and I think about two years ago, they were introduced to Porco Rosso, and it's hands down their favorite, which is like, it's a very anti-fascist film. I do recall there being one scene, I think he's like, like in heaven or something and there's all these planes flying and I remember being very impacted by that we I we watched Porco Rosso with my whole family Mm -hmm. I I remember it and I and I remember that scene being very impactful but that's all I really remember after watching it again do you get why it's their favorite are you even more confused Uh, no I think I think I do get it because Porco comedy is not it might also be things that are lost in the translation but Mm. in general ghibli is not terribly funny no and it's really not and porco rosso is in himself a funny character and i also think the voice actor michael keaton does a really great job i didn't realize it was michael he does a great job and i've watched a lot of the behind the scenes thing and uh michael keaton wears sunglasses when he plays porco rosso which that, if that, that feels right you get there uh do whatever you want uh, i b- i believe it so it's it might be a good introduction one because i think there's a little bit of comedy there's a little bit of love but it's also weird and it's also plain so yeah. um so i think it could be a and nice also entry. plain mm-hmm. yes um our next one is ocean waves i did not watch that i have never seen ocean waves okay, have you perfect. ever seen ocean waves no, I've never seen it. Okay, we're really um, sorry. Y'all. Sorry if that is your favorite. I'm so, so sorry. I did not watch it. Uh, that one is not a Miyazaki film. It is a Takahashi film mm-hmm. and then a Mochizuki film. So it's a dual director mm-hmm. combo. Uh, this next one I did not watch. It is a Takahata film. It's Pompoko. My brother does highly recommend uh, that one. Another more accessible one. Okay, our next one. I'm so excited to talk about this. So I had one film in our like in our Ghibli revisiting that I it's such a deep cut. It's one that no one has seen. I it is my mom's favorite. It's my favorite. It 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 is a super important film to me. Like it's in my top 10 favorite films of all time. That's how much I love this movie. Um and it's called Whisper of the Heart, which is about a young girl just hanging out and and kind of like it's a very sweet romantic film I think it captures the just like the heart and soul of like a a daydreamer Mm -hmm. like just sort of being having your own internal world and falling in love for the first time and getting lost in like the Japanese suburbs and taking the train God, I love that movie. And I'm so glad you watched it. Yeah, I, I am as well. It, it has a slight, you can, so is it is another Takahato film, but you can definitely, so what? This one is actually, um, it was a, so Miyazaki did not technically uh, direct mm-hmm. Whisper of the Heart. It was um, the premiere film of one of their, like, oh. um, and it, uh, Yoshifumi Kondo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Hayao Miyazaki is credited as a director on the film. You can definitely feel Miyazaki's hand in this film. You could tell he was monitoring oh, this new that he director. was definitely overseeing it. And I think it, I don't know, I think it's a match made in heaven. I, I really, really love Whisper of the Heart. I think it really captures 
the agony and ecstasy of being a creative, being young. 13. It has some of the best, like, cat representation I've ever seen yes. in, in animation. And the love story is so cute. So it's a love story of a 13-year-old girl, I believe. And she realizes that there is a name on the library card um, who someone has oh. always checked out the book before her. And um, which is such a romantic concept. Seiji Yamasawa? Uh, but then. Seiji Yamasawa. And <laughs> it's a very romantic uh, concept, but then it's always, uh, as a 13 year old girl, maybe things don't turn out as romantically as you think, but in some ways, even mm. better than you hoped. Um, oh, it's so good. It's a little bit of, it's a balance of, I think, a lot of Ghibli films. There's some realism in it, but then also mm-hmm. a fantastical element. It does feel like I. I I don't think any film has ever captured. It feels it feels very Ladybird to me. Mm, yeah, this is it has this a real Ladybird. This is this is um, Studio Ghibli's Ladybird, and it has this very like earnest, unapologetic, but romantic and beautiful and soft. Would you say lonely exploration girl? of what it means to be a lonely girl? Yeah. <laughs> this is a very thirteen-year-old uh, lonely girl falling. Uh, oh in my love. gosh, it's. Okay, um, so we are about to um, get into some some juicy, juicy bits. Okay, so next, and I I believe this is this is a lot of people's favorite Miyazaki film, and does feel very much in line with like where his old films start to end and his new films kind of uh, start to begin in terms of subject matter and style. But it's Princess Mononoke. Mm-hmm which is has some of the most visceral visuals that I have experienced even to this day. Mm-hmm. Like there's that one scene where towards the end where she's trapped in the the sort of wormy tendrils of the demon and it's it, it, like it, it I feel it in my stomach I think because this is one that a lot of people have heard about do you want to give like a little summary specifically of this plot yeah yeah so um Princess Mononoke it takes place in sort of ancient ancient Japan or a sort of um uh, an amalgamation of a few different time periods mm-hmm. in Japan and it is a world where forest gods and forest demons are being angered and are basically being destroyed by in- industrialists. Uh, and there's this female ruler who's such a cool badass character. Oh my gosh, she's so cool. I forget who she's voiced by. She's voiced by someone amazing in the English dub. One second. I want to say Gina Davis, but I know it's not Gina Davis. Hold on. But hold anyone on, being compared on, to Gina on. Davis, that is a huge compliment. I mean, honestly. So it's, uh, oh, yes. The, the forest and the gods of the forest are being destroyed by a, an industrialist, a sort of girl boss, if you will, Lady Iboshi, who's voiced by Minnie Driver. So and good. Takes the cake. Princess Mononoke is voiced by Claire Danes and does a fantastic job. I think, like, Claire Danes just has such a, like a vibrant young girl voice Mm -hmm. and really gives a lot of power to the performance. Uh, Essentially, the entire film is just a a battle between 
the extreme powers of the industrial the industrial force they have bombs they have firearms they they use forests to for its resources and then the existing gods within the within these natural spaces and the two very small people who are caught in between it mm-hmm. where you have princess mononoke whose parents you have princess mononoke who as a baby was adopted by wolves mm-hmm. and then um, a young soldier and their sort of love story and they're getting caught in the mix of these two incredibly powerful forces at odds with one another um, and the way they can sort of learn to adapt and coexist. And I think this is one of his greatest examples that there aren't a lot of straight up antagonists in his Mm-mm. films. There's actually only a handful. And um, one of his favorite tropes is you think he's this person's the antagonist and actually. Um, and then they they actually turn into like, um, a side character. Or like they they be, they humanize. Um, in Princess Mononoke, I feel like, I don't know if, if Claire Danes is a lonely girl, but I do think there is something about being raised by animals. It's very lonely okay. girl. I have a theory. It doesn't apply. Well, actually, no, I'm going to say that once we get to Howl. Okay, perfect. Um, next we have a Takahata film, which is my neighbor, the Yamadas, which I've never seen. And I absolutely should see. I haven't seen either. Y'all, I'm sorry. I might, I mean, I might just, I might just watch it today yeah do it because i need to clean my house I'm and not, I, i'll have something on in the back i'm not ready y'all to finish the ghibli uh, to give up ghibli no. next we have spirited away which we already talked a little bit about mm-hmm. but that is absolutely i mean chihiro is such a lonely girl yeah she's she's a true true lonely girl what's the name of the dragon uh, i think she's very haku okay i think She's very Mary Lennox mm. coded. Mm-hmm. The idea of kind of a brat being put into a situation where she has to better herself. One thing I I love about Spirited Away is it is a a from the mind of Miyazaki. It's not an adaptation of anything, uh, and you can really see. I feel like so many of his influences in terms of his connection to. Japanese mythology Mm -hmm. Uh, you see a lot of that in Spirited Away there's a really really great video essay that we'll probably post on our Insta stories we'll probably post kind of like our favorite like a roundup of like our favorite video essays uh, that have to do with Miyazaki because it's so much a part of like our education Um, but there's a really really great one that I love that talks about the mythology Mm that is sort of referenced and used within Spirited Away specifically. And Spirited Away, I had no idea what I was getting into, but it is a young girl who is um, transported to, I don't know, the Land of Spirits, and she has to work at a bathhouse, which is a very Japanese concept, and it's very not um, American, which I thought was interesting, mm. but it's a it's a bathhouse for spirits, and her name is mm. traded away. Like, she has to give up her mm. name for safety, which I think is just such an interesting concept it really and is then she learns uh, stuff. and then she learns stuff she learns how to she learns to trust herself mm-hmm. and and learn and be strong and and save the day i we have next the cat returns which is kind of a like a spiritual sequel to whisper of the heart where it's i it, it's a, supposed to be an adaptation of the book that the character from Spirit of the Heart is writing. Nope, I said spirit. 
in Whisper of the Heart, our main girl, our 13-year-old girl, is, is writing her first novel. And The Cat Returns is essentially an adaptation of this novel that she's writing, Can- which I think is so cute. And it stars Carrie Always, who is my... Anne oh, Hathaway. my man. Um, and Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Early Anne Hathaway. I think The Cat Returns is maybe one of my favorite titles of anything Mm -hmm. because it's very straightforward you're like what's it about and they're like the cat returns returns. it's about a cat coming it's about a cat i think it's a very rebecca title um oh yeah it's like no spirit is so our next one no no nothing it's just the cat returns (gasps) and y'all my cat just see but um a cat a, a cat is returning yes our next one which we are both on the same page about it's I'm, I don't want to say the goat because I think it's such an annoying acronym, but mm-hmm. it really is greatest of all time. It's it's Miyazaki's best film, Howl's Moving Castle. I I, I think it, it, it is my <sighs> favorite Ghibli. And one thing that made so much sense when I realized what the source material was is it's one of those like fantasy, but for before YA existed, kind of a YA fantasy which mm. in my little um, oh, yeah. uh, little Crockett County middle school was kind of like they stopped buying new books in the 90s. So I had a lot of those. So it was a format I was immediately oh, yeah. very, very comfortable with. Familiar with. Yeah, and I, I just yeah. got it. And Maddie said this, and she's right. It has one of the best oh. voice casts ever. Just ever. fantastic. It is, it, it is I, think, I think, this one... I remember watching the behind the scenes featurette for this one mm-hmm. when I was younger and for this voice cast they took it really really seriously. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why I love Howl's Moving Castle and I didn't really clock this until I was watching a video essay about it recently where the this is also the creator's favorite Miyazaki film and he talks about how there's not a ton of like Ghibli films aren't necessarily comedies. But Howl's Moving Castle is really funny. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that it's animated, the plot beats, it's got this really... there. The story of Howl's Moving Castle is there's a young, sort of shy, kind of just quiet and reserved young woman named Sophie who's a hat maker, uh, who... That's essentially her life and her existence. Uh, she's a through big a series sister. Of, uh, she's a big sister, mm-hmm. which we love. Uh, but in this world, there are two opposing countries uh, or kingdoms that are at war. Uh, and so you have this sort of, I, I would say, like the, the aesthetic of the film and the time period that it's meant to be taking place in is like Victorian times. I would mm-hmm. say it's like almost turn of the century mm-hmm. it's like late 1800s Almost early 1900s vibes it is i was i was trying really hard not to say steampunk but it is so steampunk and but there is also magic and wizards in this world mm-hmm. and so sophie gets a curse put on her by a witch that turns her into an old woman and so our main protagonist is a young girl who's trapped inside the body of an old woman and she has to leave because she's she's an old woman and she she's got to figure out how to break this curse um or or figure out a way to live her life and she ends up running into the moving castle or this sort of it is so steampunk 
like when you think when you look at the Hal's castle, Hal's house, which is this giant sort of lumbering robot, robot on legs that's powered by a a fire demon mm-hmm. and owned by this gorgeous young heartbreaking sort of playboy wizard named Howl. Literally the first line you hear about him is Howl eat your heart out. Like that is our introduction He's literally to Howl. Eat your heart out. Uh-uh. And um, voiced by Christian Bale, a very who was in the throes of Batman. So we get Batman Christian Bale just like eating your Batman Christian Bale and him being this sort of flamboyant, childish, very very lost boy energy. Yeah, if I do say so myself, who is duty bound to both of these different kingdoms and has no desire to participate in this war that's happening but he's unwilling to face his responsibilities and by chance sophie kind of cons her way into being his cleaning lady um and strikes up a deal with this fire demon that we learn is 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 bound to howl due to a curse uh so I think I, I Howl's Moving Castle is my favorite Ghibli film. It's the one I've watched the most. And correct me if I'm wrong, it's also now your favorite. It's my favorite. It absolutely okay, is my favorite. I think, and I think the love story is the fact that it has been compared to Beauty and the Beast. But what I think is really beautiful is um, the more and more Howl gives in to hate, though he presents as like dashing blonde boy prince, he starts to become something this like almost like demon-like bird every time he acts yeah. out on his hate, which also mm. makes him more powerful. And yeah. so like he is trying to present as beautiful, but actually he's becoming this really disgusting, ugly thing. And then she mm. is an old woman, but they're falling for each other truly for not their external appearances. It's almost despite of. And I yeah. think that's just so beautiful. It's so, and I love... I do love that there is a point where Sophie in her old woman body becomes sort of okay with being old and has this sort of like, you know, I I feel so peaceful. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're old, you just, you just sort of want to sit and take in the world. And she really enjoys that. She's, she's not like, she kind of accepts her fate Mm -hmm. that she's never going to have this curse broken. And and she learns to really kind of lean into that, lean into it. And I think it's so it's so funny. And and I love the dynamic of this just sort of this boy, a boy and an old woman Mm -hmm. um, and the way that they fall in love and and, and just like the world. Yeah. And the world that it exists in. There are planes, lots of planes, lots of ships. Gotta have a plane. Gotta have a plane and and magic and 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 love. And I think I don't know if Sophie's a lonely girl. See, that's what I was gonna say. Very smart, Kate and I were talking before, and she's like, but because I think the so with this curse where she is an old woman, the witch who gives it to her is like, I don't know how to break it. But every yeah. time she acts out and is like sure of herself and is standing up for the mm-hmm. people that she loves or herself, she starts morphing back into her original state. And she says at one point, she is a young woman talking to Hal, saying, I love you. And then she says, but like, it's not fair. You don't understand. I've never been beautiful. And then as yeah. she says it as a young 
woman, she then morphs into an old woman again, which I can understand. I think there are times where it's just like there is so much power and beauty and mm. and then sometimes when I feel like less powerful as we'll say yeah. um I think it is I don't know I think like as young women we are obsessed with being beautiful and she doesn't see I herself agree. that way okay so that was house moving castle mm-hmm. Do we have any like closing thoughts for Howl's? Um, Aside from that, we love it and it's our favorite. Uh, I, I, mm, wait, have we given a suggestion yet, Maddie, on like introduction to Ghibli? I, I think Ooh, it, would this be mm. a good one? Because I don't think this is I think anyone's. This would, no one suggests this one, but I do. I think. I think this is a good second one. I would say if I was going to recommend a Ghibli film to anybody. It might be My Neighbor Totoro, Mm -hmm. because that one feels the least weird. Mm -hmm. If I was just going to broadly recommend to someone who I didn't know that well, I would recommend Totoro. And then I think I would recommend Spirited Away. So, But to to someone who I knew kind of like liked something a little bit more. Weird. weird well I think the reason I'm asking is I had dinner with my friend Jen and she was saying and I thought it was so fascinating she said I should like Ghibli because her husband loves Ghibli and I was like oh yeah we're doing an episode on it and she's like I know I should like Ghibli I like them all the same they're all fine and um I had asked if she had seen Totoro because specifically I think Jen would love Totoro but I also yeah. was like I think you should maybe see Porco Rosso or Um, House Moving Castle because there is something a little bit more chewy plot wise in that like I think with Totoro sometimes it's so floaty a new a new participant might get kind of like ah can I please have a yeah bored really or like can I just have plot to just like sink my fangs into instead of being introduced to the art form given something a little bit more easy. House Moving Castle is a much more traditional narrative mm-hmm. it's got much more of like a, a character arc I'm trying to think uh and and it's got more like a more I would say more of like a satisfying ending mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke honestly yeah. I think I think both of them yeah. serve very different purposes but I think yeah if I was gonna recommend it to a younger person mm-hmm. I would recommend like if I was introducing a child to to Ghibli, I would definitely show them Totoro. Mm-hmm. I would not show them Mononoke. No. So, so what we're saying is really the question is: Are you trying to introduce yourself or someone else to the form that is uh, Ghibli, or are you trying to like um, introduce them easily into something more approachable? Um, yeah, depend, and it would really depend on the person. Yeah, feel it out. Feel it out. You know, it's. Uh, e- there's no black and white here. It's, uh, there's lots of nuance. Yeah. There's no good and bad. There's only consequences. <laughs> there we go. All right. So I think that's all for Howl. Yeah, that's all for Howl's. That's our personal favorite and our pick. If, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this episode and you're like, and you've got this far without ever encountering any Ghibli, I, I think you're that's like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And so the next one is um, interesting. I have never seen this one. Um, and it is famously very, very poorly received. It's called Tales from Earthsea. And it's 
by Hayao Miyazaki's son, Goro. Mm. And it's Goro's directorial debut. And Miyazaki famously, famously (laughs) hated Tales from Earthsea. And he thought his son... um, I don't think he thought his son made him proud, which is, I would say, something that when people learn more about Hayao Miyazaki as a a human being, not just a creator, one of the things that you run into is a very complicated relationship with him and his son. Uh, And his son not only following in his footsteps, but working directly under him as a director in his production company and trying and trying and failing often to make a mark for himself while still working within the brand that his father has created. Um, Just looking at the IMDb, I'm going to give the plot Mm -hmm. because I would like to know. Um, In a mythical land, a man and a young boy investigate a series of unusual occurrences, um, daddy issues. I would Mm, just like to point out a few things um, that (laughs) I think from the IMDb, for one, Willem Dafoe is in it, which, why in the world is he not in all of them? And also, there's apparently a dragon in it. Um, Yes. Maddie, you know my list of things that I don't like? Dragons are one of them. I really don't like dragons. Mm, wow that wow yeah Jeremy that there's a lot of things yeah that that sort of are are ruined for you Game of Thrones yeah I won't watch it um Aragon yeah no. uh Voyage of the Dawn Treader the fifth absolutely not uh Narnia but never Dragon Tales <laughs> no I don't know <laughs> y'all um famously I was raised religiously and in Revelations there are dragons and so mm. um, when I went to go see Shang-Chi, I was like, I, I like was like, I don't know, maybe they might, I think there were dragons on the poster. And I was like, maybe there won't be a lot of dragons. And there's literally like a 25 <laughs> minute section where it's just two dragons fighting it's each just, other. It was really scary. Yeah. Um, what about Mulan? Oh, that's fine. That's a happy dragon. Okay. Yeah, that's a cute little lizard. If it's a happy dragon, then I can do it. If that's a happy little dragon, then it's good. So anyways, um... That is fascinating, and it has been poorly received. Um, that's I'm not fascinating. The film is fascinating. Tales from Earthsea is fascinating. I feel like I should watch it. It might be one that I try to watch because you and I are not are both not ready to let Ghibli go. No, we've only really we've only been researching this for like a week, and I, I can't it's let it go to us. Yeah, <laughs> this also I think might be one I would need to watch with my brother. Like something yeah. to to watch with someone, I think sometimes helps the medicine go down. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, Tales from Earthsea came out two years later. We get another Hayao Miyazaki feature, which is I would say for me the one that I was the most aware of in terms of like a theatrical release, mm. which is Ponyo. I remember Ponyo commercials constantly. I remember the posters everywhere. It was a really, really big deal that Frankie Jonas and Noah Cyrus played the lead. They promoted it on Disney Channel. Maddie, I have something that I think the whole audience needs to hear. So the youngest Jonas brother does the voice of the little boy and does an excellent job. It is honestly really good. And then it's it's great. Noah Cyrus, I don't know her character is annoying, so I don't know if, if it's her fault. But this morning I was watching a lot of behind the scenes 
of all the making mm-hmm. of the of the Ghibli films. And the executive producer told us a big old fib because she said casting this movie was so easy because my 10-year-old daughter, guys, I kid you not, my 10-year-old daughter just came up to me and said one day, did you know that Miley Cyrus has a 10-year-old little sister who is really talented? And the executive producer is like, no, I didn't. And mom, the Jonas Brothers have a little brother and he's really talented too. And they're (laughs) the same age. I kid you not, I rewound it and listened to this executive producer say it. I'm like, yeah, my tin lie to our and was like, this was not a cash grab at all. Um, no, it was just my daughter. My and also, I promise you, n- no 10-year-old daughter was aware of... No, we did. We were not aware of these kids. These kids. But, I mean, Frankie Jonas... But all that to say... Did a, he did a... Like, honestly, I truly enjoyed did. his performance. I I think... I, I don't think the legacy of Frankie Jonas will carry over, like, in a decade. No. And I still think someone will be able to watch it in a decade. And I don't think they'll have the thought, like... Wow, this was a popular child actor Mm-mm. at the time who they shoved into this uh, role and made. Yeah, but also if like he never creates anything and he's like, all I did was make Ponyo. I'm like, honestly, that's, that's pretty. That's pretty. Good. You did a really great job. So you did a great job. I I really like Ponyo for I I I like when Ghibli moves. Uh, I think magical realism is really hard to do without being like you have to understand that the audience is constantly trying to decipher what's real and what's magical and how much they should or shouldn't believe. And so you have to kind of like hold that all the time um, and make it so they don't a either get bored or be like just confused. And I think Ponyo does a really good job at being fantastical and beautiful and sweet while also being grounded in very like real emotions Mm -hmm. and telling a sort of compelling tale of young, young love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love, I love all the water sequences. They're so pretty. Yeah. They're beautiful. And Liam Neeson does a great job. Um, he does. He does. And I think I watched, I'm sure you saw this video essay from the uh, the take where they discuss Miyazaki's opinion on love and all of his love. Mm. It's more about a spiritual connection. Like even the mm. most like love story, love story, how's moving castle, like appearance keeps shifting. So that doesn't matter. But Ponyo and what's what's the little boy's name? Do we know? Sosuke. Sosuke. Um, Ponyo and Sosuke just have an immediate um, like spiritual connection. Yeah. And it's like this is have a bond and, and it's very childlike and that like kids often just meet each other and they love each other. And that is yeah. the love that literally saves the world. Oh, okay. So what do we have next? Oh, by the way, Ponyo's not really one of my favorites though. Sorry. Yeah. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, the next one is Arietti. That's I think um, I think I'm watching Arietti after we finish recording. <laughs> so Arietti was not done by Miyazaki or Takahata or Goro. It was done by uh, directed by Hiramasa Yonobayashi, mm-hmm. and uh, Miyazaki is credited as like a co-director. Uh, but I-, I remember when Arietti came out and 
it, it was definitely like it didn't have its it didn't it doesn't exactly have the like the Miyazaki stamp on it mm-hmm. and I don't know anyone whose favorite film is Arietti mm. but it is like sort of a take on the borrowers yeah and it stars uh, the American dub is is Brid- Bridget Mendler I saw that it, that's so random it's so random <laughs> It's, um, they have Emily Osment in one of them. Um, anyways, I, I do kind of want to run through the, I can't believe that they're in a Ghibli film at the end. Cause we have some yeah. shockers. We have some sh- shockers. So next, and this is another Goro film. This is from up on Poppy Hill. I haven't heard that much about it. I do remember when it came out, I tried to watch it yesterday and I was so bored. I, I was so uninterested. I do remember reading the plot of From Up on Poppy Hill, and it seems like there's a romance that starts between two young folks that then hits a breaking point because they're related somehow. Hmm. And I remember that being like a really big plot point. Yeah. And it being something where it was like, like they're back in the day, like their parents maybe had affairs with one another mm-hmm. and so they're really I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know that much I don't think it's anybody's favorite no. film I feel bad for Goro. Oh, Goro I want him to do well so badly I want, I want Goro to no okay well that's cool I want I want Goro to, to go, go do you know who is a lonely girl Maddie Coral Miyazaki. <laughs> Miyazaki is the loneliest girl. Yeah. Poor thing. Good plot twist, um, y'all. Okay, so now <laughs> we're in 2013 and we've got an incredibly important film. Um, perhaps I would say Miyazaki's most film. It's just his most film mm-hmm. and it's The Wind Rises. If, so there are a few things, as we've said before, that Miyazaki loves. It's planes. He loves more than planes. No war. Women, women with tuberculosis. <laughs> um, and um, no war. And, and no war. And also, I don't, I don't know, like, sort of fantastical sequences where people fly. Mm-hmm. Like, he loves... He loves people being in the air. That's honestly something, the psychology of Miyazaki loving planes so much and knowing that for the most part, the reason why we have planes is because of war. Like we wouldn't have commercial airlines if it, if we didn't like need the technology to advance so rapidly during the war. Well, I think one thing that I would love to discuss with you that I think Miyazaki (laughs) is um, on our podcast um, that Miyazaki (laughs) is bringing up and struggling with is um, like, you know, industrialization, consumerism, and um, how Ghibli was saved after Totoro wasn't a huge success. But then a couple of years later, um, a toy company started making the doll of Totoro and it increased mm. the ticket, it increased the sales of the actual film and it helped save the studio. Um, and wow. so as someone who I'm sure, and he was encouraging kids to go out and play, but instead kids, parents would tell him, oh, my kid stays inside and watches your movies over and over again. He was like, no, Totoro was supposed to. 
um, excite kids to explore the outdoors. But just as um, the lead character in The Wind Rises is someone who designs planes for the beauty of planes, and then they're used for war, and then he has to come to terms with that. Miyazaki created these films to uh, like talk about the environment, talk about like yeah. the opposite of consumerism. And now, like, there are factories full-time creating, I'm sure, a lot of pollution and waste from the making from these, of products. Um, yeah, from, from merchandise. Yeah, and then to the point of, like, they br- have bring in, ever since that Totoro doll, they make sure that there are sellable characters in all of his films, just like Disney does, wow. you know, um, which seems so anti-Miyazaki, but, like, no one is safe from that what do you think maddie i think that's all correct and a and a really good point and i think i don't know if there's really like an answer Mm -hmm. you know there uh famously there's no good or bad there's only consequences and i think there might be i think there might be a part of miyazaki that due to his own like moral code cannot enjoy his work and cannot be anything but tortured because he knows that his success has come at the cost of the earth mm. and it has come at the cost of like his principles. Mm. And, but, but also I think there's in a, a more like positive version where perhaps they are staying inside and watching his films as kids but when they are adults, they have a philosophy baked into them that does appreciate and respect nature and the environment and causes them even just a fraction more critical thinking skills because of a piece of work that they experienced so viscerally as children. Mm-hmm. So in the moment, it might not, that might not be his intent, but he has no idea what his work is capable of inspiring in the long term. Yeah. And I think like, since we're talking about consuming, he also has a museum and he also has an amusement park, but I've seen some TikToks of the amusement park and it's literally like Jewish. You could walk down those paths. (laughs) Now you, now you can, it looks just like it. (laughs) And like, that's it. it. And I think that's cool. (laughs) Honestly, like, that's my, I mean, that's basically just, like, the ice cream museum. You know, the like, the museum, mm-hmm. the sort of, like, the pop-up experience um, trend that's that's been happening where you can just sort of exist in a surreal little world for a while. That's cool. I'd pay money. I'd pay money to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so The Wind Rises, as we've talked about, is sort of uh, Miyazaki's magnum opus if you will uh, up until now he he said it was like his final film and that time I did believe him he said yeah. many a time that he was going to retire it's like a, a, a running joke now I feel like it's almost like watching it as reading his diary <laughs> yeah. I mean like I, I'm <laughs> it's me saying like I'm I'm done with the dating apps I'm done with hinge and then you talk to me like two weeks later and mm-hmm. I'm like so I'm might be engaged. I'm getting engaged and it's um it's not a big deal. <laughs> there are five different options. The Wind Rises is definitely the film that he's had the largest fingerprint on in the last decade. 
it came out in 2013 and since then on sort of like the directorial end he is not credited for any of the four films that have come out since 2013 the wind rises though is definitely i i don't know it's i would say it's like the most adult yeah well it's it's i mean there's there's a biopic it's um it's based around it's combining a character from a novel and then the real life story of a certain uh plane engineer engineer okay and i imagine there's like elements of his childhood in there and also elements of his father in there it's basically his french dispatch it's his french dispatch (laughs) it's his french French dispatch or it is it's spielberg what's spielberg the ferryman uh, the Fablemans. The fa- it's his Fablemans. Fable- yeah. The, Sorry, ferryman. The, ferryman, <laughs> the Ferryman is a play that I saw on when I lived in London. Wait. Um, Rebecca. <laughs> did you live in London? I did. I did, y'all, actually. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I, it, I, I, this is what I said about the French Dispatch, and I will say it about The Wind Rises, I don't think this will be anybody's favorite Miyazaki film, but it is Hayao Miyazaki's favorite Miyazaki film. It's a really good And he's earned that right. Yeah. What is that? Someone yelling. It sounds kind of songy. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's L.A. There's music in the streets. It's La La La. It's jazz. It's It's all jazz. It's all jazz, Rebecca. (laughs) So... Uh, we're we're kind of getting to the tail end of Miyazaki. So next, um, the same year that The Wind Rises came out, we have The Tale of Princess Kaguya. And you watched that one. I did. did you, I've did never you know, seen it. I thought you told me to watch it because you had no, seen that, it. That was your brother, oh, I think. Yes. But um, I do know Chloe Grace Moretz is, is the voice of the main girl. That's good. Yes, she is. Um, yes. So that is based on... Um, I believe it's a, a myth, but one of like the most like Cinderella has been retold a billion different times. And it's just been we don't even know where it began. Um, this story is super duper old, super well known. And it is about um, I don't know where the mythology stops and the movie ends, but pretty much it's James Caan um, as a woodcutter with his wife from Elf plays his wife in this movie, which is important. Wow. And um, he finds Mary a pretty virgin. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And she That's does exciting. A, she does a great job. He, and he She's doesn't got a great voice. And he doesn't sound like James Conn from Elf at all. He sounds so different. Um, and he finds a little girl in a thing of bamboo and then she turns into a baby. They raise it. And it's very much like they raise her to be a princess because then they get a lot of gold and then she is sad and doesn't want to be what they're trying to force her into be specifically the dad dad he ruined everything and um and the ending is very sad she goes back to be in the moon even though she's like begging to stay with her parents but they've almost like harmed her so much that it's um it is not possible to repair and then she goes back into the moon Mm -hmm. that's really upsetting uh the the animation style is anyways People grow, uh, so people yeah. change. P- people grow, people change. The animation style is similar to my neighbor, the Yamadas, mm-hmm. right? It's like pretty distinct within Ghibli. It's mm-hmm. not like the traditional Ghibli face. Mm-hmm. It's um, Takahata? Yeah, it's Takahata. Um, which makes 
a lot of sense. So it is very beautiful, and I had Maggie watch it with me because she's an artist and she could appreciate it. It was not my favorite, but it also no. wasn't my not favorite. Yeah. Watch it with uh, a friend. Watch it with a friend. Um, next, we've got When Marnie Was There, which is yes. sad, gay, gay, sad, pretty gay, sad grandma. Gay, okay. I Not gay for grandma, uh, but like kind of... Okay. It's generational. Generational. Okay. So here we go. Okay. I okay. I think that was Maddie's summary of it. I'm now <laughs> going to do it. So there is okay. a child in the foster system. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, she goes to stay with her foster mother's um, family out in the country. She feels very drawn to this mansion in a marsh that's been abandoned. And there, um, this girl, Anna, who's very depressed, um, meets a young girl from, it's very clear, she's like from, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. She dresses. The the Victorian era. She dresses like a little princess. And um, very, um, very Sarah Crew vibes. And, but um, I saw this movie before we were prepping for this episode and I was very struck by both of their loneliness I feel like Mm. it's very like heal your inner child core um because these two girls who are very isolated in their own places end up kind of healing each other and then learning how their paths have intersect and forgiving one another and it's very beautiful but it turns out this Victorian little girl gasp um is the ghost of her grandmother and some people are like is it all in her head is it all this but there are a lot of moments between them like when the grandmother as a little child named marnie is like you are my secret and we i love you more than anything but don't tell anyone about us and then she like rows a boat with her arms around anna and it could there is some read it queer baiting going on i would i would say if anything queer baiting queer baiting i i don't know i think it's like you if you read it through the lens of like just queer theory there's there is a version of it that can be interpreted as sort of uh uh uh, sapphic longing but also Mm. there's a version of it that is completely platonic and is just more the intensities of girlhood and friendship so i think it's both and but i do think there are certain moments where i was like this feels a little gay it, and I it, know I know it's your grandma's ghost but well I if it wasn't <laughs> well and, and I was listening to someone explain and unfortunately the commentary of when Marnie was there it's one of the poorest on YouTube um and I did find one guy who he did make a point and I'm not saying he's right or wrong but if you imagined those moments between the two girls and Marnie is actually an old woman and is her grandmother it looks very very different and it turns out that the young marnie really has been like all in anna's head and it's like she has like the all-knowing that she is the grandmother eventually i don't know it's a very confusing movie y'all but um so anyways you (laughs) it's not my favorite (laughs) i liked it much more than maddie i also think if you're looking for a lonely girl in the ghibli canon it stars yeah. two very lonely girls. Deeply lonely girls. Yes. I we we have two left mm-hmm. and I have seen neither one of them. I I I end when Marnie was there, y'all. Yeah, so we have the Red Turtle. 
mm-hmm. which I remember, I know is beautiful. I've seen clips of it and I know it was, I believe it was nominated and mm-hmm. it looks like it was a a collaboration between Ghibli and either a like French studio or uh, there's a, a lot of French names involved with it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not watch it, and I'm apologies if that is your favorite Ghibli film. I have no desire to watch it. Um, Maddie doesn't do turtles. I don't do turtles. Um, I'll say it once and I'll say it again. You don't do dragons. I don't do turtles. I don't blame you. Um, and and then we have another Goro Miyazaki miss banger. Uh, <laughs> uh, ear Earwig and the Witch, which was. 3d animated um and i i have only seen clips of it and i was just horrified i like i I could not believe that they like i've never been i've never had a a harsher opinion about a children's animated film than earwig and the witch okay i think i think it's time for him to retire um well i mean maybe here's the thing maybe once daddy fully retires mm-hmm. he can get out from the shadow of daddy i i just think and that then create something good or he's just a nepotism baby i think no he's talent. a nepotism baby because also if we think about the in some ways the horrors of how miyazaki like was raised and it was also fundamental to what he yeah. created later on and his son doesn't have those same experiences and I'm not saying he doesn't possibly have his own personal tragedies but like what Miyazaki went through really created his and I also think his generation um they're very intense like I I don't know like my my great-grandmother is a naturally more intense driven hard-working person she's I think 109 or something so it's also I think a generational thing um that really created the diamond that we have poor Goro I know I don't I don't I don't envy him at all I don't envy him at all I think it it would be a horrifying situation to be in um and I can't imagine living in the shadow of my parents that feels like a nightmare yeah I I get that Okay, so so that's that's it. Those are all of our Ghibli films. Uh, is there, uh, out of these, however many works that we went through, mm-hmm. like what would you say is the one that sort of like stood out to you the most? I guess even when I'm asking this question, like what's the one that sort of like hits you the most or feels the most important I don't in know. this season? Um, I can tell you my answer. Tell me your answer. My answer is whisper of the heart Mm -hmm. watching that one again and the the sort of message that it has and the sort of sweetness and the sort of love for like the creative dreamer and the idea of the journey and the agony that you go on when you're creating things and and the drive to like really better yourself and better your craft Mm -hmm. For the, not the respect and adoration, but just for the, the discipline of, uh, of of working at something really hard mm-hmm. and, and seeing that pay off. That's what I've, I've really resonated with in this season. Um, I would say nothing is extremely jumping out, but I think possibly Kiki's Delivery Service and Ooh. Ethos. I, w- I wouldn't say that that was the film that just b- b- 
came off the screen for me particularly <laughs> um but i think like especially after uh watching the essay about how kiki um the uh, modern millennial artist mm. is how kiki Kiki Kins. Kiki Kiki. I kept thinking that the whole time. Well, I'm so glad Kiki. I didn't think of that. How annoying. Kiki. No, every every time I it's taken everything within me to not say that. The whole time. The whole um, time. America's sweethearts, y'all. That's all we're uh, gonna you say. Listen to the episode. Listen to the episode. Um or just watch the movie. Um, yeah. But how, as someone who famously just started a second job, who technically yes. does not have a day off, I now work seven days a week, and mm. also who has creative, mm-hmm, um, that's why I chose a very easy job, y'all. Yeah. Um, but how I, I don't, I, I mean, her thing is more she does what she loves uh, for money, and now she is depleted. But I mm. think, like, maybe... Uh, Kiki's delivery service is maybe more of like a warning note of like mm. making sure to not overdo oneself and to take time for that rest and not even relaxation, but I think like recharge. Restora- yeah, restoration. Because and I don't like your- really do that. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy mm. resting. And that's not okay. Um, I, I just, I truly love when I get to do what I love. Like that is, Mm. I find that more enjoyable than anything. And so. But to um, be able to like really do it. Yeah. Requires that like the, the ebb and flow and Mm -hmm. like the discipline of recharging oneself or else you'll lose your power. I know. And I, I'm not at a point where I am, but at the same time I do know I'm entering a season that could make that harder. And then thus having two jobs will be fruitless if I'm not able to create because I'm too exhausted from working. Um, Yes. But mama don't got a choice right now. You know. Um, (laughs) Sometimes we don't have a choice. Sometimes service is going to be delivered. And other times you've got to howl at the castle. Okay. I didn't understand. Wait, yes, I <laughs> and do. Some, and sometimes it's a there's a there's a sky and you've got a castle in it. There we go. There we go. And you've got to live in that castle up on Poppy Hill until the cat returns. Until <laughs> so until the cat so <laughs> until the cat returns. Uh, <laughs> That's my new saying. Until the cat returns, <laughs> you know I'm not returns, calling him back. This, this not, spirit is away. <laughs> I am. I'm, dude. I'm not going to that party until the cat returns. <laughs> cat returns. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. Thank you. Um, so, uh, it's like it's like when pigs fly. Yeah. Oh. Until the cat returns. Oh, oh, until the cat returns. <laughs> if you say it with enough conviction, people will think it's a saying. Okay, so let's talk about the lonely girl relationship to Ghibli and the to spirit Ghibli. of Ghibli. I feel like we've talked about it a lot, but I do think there is something... I, I, I think there is always a hint of like longing within all of the characters, a feeling of not belonging, a feeling of then sort of perhaps achieving a sense of belonging and then realizing that that belonging does not come from the external. It always comes from the internal. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a, a challenge to find the internal. 
and 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 fortify that versus using external things to validate your existence I also think um like even after watching a few Ghibli's just like how Anne really seeped into our system with Ghibli I was like walking past like a like a concrete steps and I saw like green leaves peeking out in between the concrete steps and I immediately was like oh that's a Ghibli. That's such a Ghibli motif. It's you like, know, it, that's so it Ghibli. really makes you, I think a really fantastic auteur can like, when you view their work, you are then able to interpret the world for a little bit through their lens. Like they allow Absolutely. you to see the world in a different way. And I think one thing we didn't talk about, but like one thing I love about Ghibli is like the soundscapes. Like, Ghibli films make me hear the world differently. Mm. And mm-hmm. that is like really, really like it feels textured, everything. And it, and it's not even it's it's animated. Mm-hmm. It's all like rendered from imagination. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like we can recognize that in real life, I think is something really, really special. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think how he views the world, it's in a very maybe not even in a lonely girl way, but it's in a very lonely girl lens. Like he sees it in this very, um, finding the beauty in kind of the mundane. Yeah. In a way that at least lonely girls can really relate to. And I think there is something to say about the fact that so many of his protagonists are women. Mm-hmm. So I think many. That, I think there is, and I and I wouldn't say that his films are, feminine at all like Mm -hmm. I I would say that across the board his the demographic that is drawn to him is pretty equal in in terms of like masculine versus feminine audience and so I think it appeals to I don't know just a sort of like youthful maternal essence and I love that so many people are drawn to it Mm -hmm. and and love these films that star women because for the most because like oftentimes films that star women and really like uplift women and media that's really kind of geared towards them feels like it's inaccessible or undesirable to the male audience mm-hmm. and I really like that that doesn't feel that way with Ghibli films yeah I think that's a really good point Thank you so much. It's like you should have a podcast or something. Oh my gosh. It's like we should both have a podcast where we talk about these things. Okay, so for our our final section, let's play a really fun game of I can't believe they were in a Ghibli film. Yes. Because there's so many good ones. So um, this morning, I'm, I'm just showing Maddie. So it starts here. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I'll just start writing some down. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, I can't see. I can't see. Well, can you see how... No, I can't. Okay, wait. Oh, so, oh, oh no, no, my no. God. Did you just write down every single yeah, actor? Yeah, because I couldn't believe any of them were in a Ghibli film. I think my favorite one is Josh Hutcherson. Josh Hutcherson, who does a great job. He um, does a fantastic job in the, Howl's Moving Castle. One of the OG um, amazing child actors. So that was amazing in My Neighbor Totoro before Elle Fanning. Um, may or may not have eclipsed her big sister. Um, yeah. They do the voices in My Neighbor Totoro, which was amazing casting. Oh, a few amazing more. Casting. Um, I put Megan Trainer's husband, Daryl, in Hathaway. <laughs> wait, wait Daryl Sabara is in Spy he's, Kid? Uh, yeah, he's in one of them. 
Um, Betty White, <laughs> Anne Hathaway, James Caan, Alison Stoner, Jamie Lee Curtis, Chloe Grace Moretz, Alex Wolf from the Naked Brothers Band, Emily Osment. Oh my god. I'm, I'm jumping through some of them. I'm skipping some. Vanessa Williams, Gina Davis, Kathy Bates, Bridget Wait, who was who was, who was Gina Davis in? Did you not? You only wrote. No. I wrote so many names. You no, 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 Google but you didn't it. write the, you didn't write the role that they were in. No. You, just the, just the actor. Who did Gina Davis play? Google it. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Gosh. Um, uh, let's see. Vanessa Williams. American voice actors. Gina Davis. Just Ghibli and Gina Davis. Also Tom Holland, but he's in the European dub of something, oh. not the um, American dub. Billy Crystal, Jenna Malone. Patrick Stewart as in mm-hmm. Nausicaa. Ashley Tisdale, Brittany Snow. Um, Jason Marsden, who does the voice of Max in a Goofy movie. He's in Spirited <laughs> Away. Um, Lilo from Lilo and Stitch does the main voice of um, the lead character Andy- in Spirited Away. Andy Dick is in mm-hmm. Castle in the Sky. <laughs> yeah, Mark Hamill, which makes sense. Uh, Billy Crudup, Billy Bob Thornton. Um, let's see, Susan Egan. Um, oh, AKA. she plays Belle. Mm-hmm. And she's also she's she's Belle in in no Belle, she's in Beauty and the Beast. She's Meg from Hercules. Damn it, you're right. Sorry. You want to know what she? Can I tell you what? You want to know why I said that? Because what? I have to redeem myself. Because in the Broadway musical Beauty and the Beast, she plays Belle. Deep cut, man. I know. That's really good. Also, from all of the like backstage of recording of all the films, Susan Egan <gasps> gave the best interviews. Everyone else was really? kind of boring. Do you know who was a little lackluster? Don't shoot me, all. me. Stanley Tucci. I really don't know if he had a great job Wait, working on that movie. Which- which one was he? He plays the Italian plane inventor in um, oh. Whispers of the Heart. See, um, no, in, in The Wind Rises. Yes, Wind Rises. John Krasinski is in The Wind Rises, and I don't... I, listen, you know I love John Krasinski. Mm-hmm. He was my... F- big crush. First really big celebrity crush, and I don't think he did that good of a job. Do you know who did an amazing job? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was so <gasps> good. So good. You want to know who's not good also? Tina Fey. Emily Blunt. Oh, I thought she did a good job. Why did they make her American? Why did they do that? Why did they make her American? Mm. Do you know who definitely did it, do a good job? Daisy Ridley. I could not tell. She's who in... Who is she? Um, like, the, the, the movie about yesterday. Like yesterday. Only, only yesterday. She plays the lead character in Only did Yesterday. They do, did they do, like, a, a recent dub? Is that it's why? It's recent. Mm-hmm. Daisy Ridley, and she plays opposite of Dev Patel, and he's oh, that's, great. That's actually really cute. Okay, uh, Kirsten Dunst is Kiki. Kiki. She's Kiki, and that's Kiki. her nickname. That's is her it? real nickname. Oh, it's, I love it's that. Kiki. I know that's so cute. She does a great job. I'm trying to think of anything, I'm just scrolling through. Uh, Jennifer Grey from uh, Dirty Dancing, Mandy Patinkin, Ronan Farrow. Carrie Yules is too. Is Carrie Yules the like the only dual no. actor? No, there are a few. Um, oh, Susan Egan is um is a dual one. There's also from scrolling through all of them, they reuse a lot of like the backup uh, background 
of I'm voice actors. Sorry, I'm mostly thinking of like A-listers. Susan okay. Egan also is in two. She's in Spirited Away I and she's just, in Porco Rosso. I just said that. No, you didn't because I was talking too loud to hear you. I just said Susan Egan. I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, there are a few like, um, wait, shoot, what's his name? The guy, the, the Pixar guy. John Lasseter. John Lasseter. There are a few Pixar staples who John mm. Lasseter likes and he reuses them a few times. Um, so there are a few uh, Pixar faves. Molly Shannon is in my neighborhood, the Yamadas. Yeah. So y'all. Oh, and D- and Daryl Sabara. Okay. So y'all. Hold on, sorry. I'm I'm still I'm I'm only on Spirited Away now. Just I'm so sorry. I think, honestly, though, House Moving Castle is it's seriously the it's the best cast. Mm-hmm. Like it, Emily Mortimer, like the perfect voice. She was not a big name at the time. No, but she's a fantastic voice actor. Christian Bale. My bones. Oh, my bones. Jenna Malone is in um, House Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Uh, doing her, her British accent that she only does. Oh, um, Darren Chris is in two different ones. Oh. Kate mm-hmm. Blanchett. I knew I knew Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett was in Ponyo. Jada Pinkett Smith is in one of them. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Y'all, can you understand now that literally you're like there? And here's one thing I was thinking about as I was looking up all these people is I've never heard any of them mention that they were in a Ghibli film. I know. I was in a Ghibli film. I would never shut up about it. I would never shut up about it. You want to know what I think it is? Mm. I think it's really hard to voice act Mm -hmm. a dub. And I think these actors signed on to these projects because they loved Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they realized how difficult it was going to be actually like matching their voice movements to the animation. And I imagine most of them had like a not easy time with it. And it's maybe a performance that they're not super proud of. Well, I also think it's, it's a performance that they don't feel maybe very connected to. Um, that's why, yeah. did you not like the pitch for the movie I sent you? Um, I'm, I didn't read it cause you were going to pitch it to me on air. On air. Okay. So y'all, I was waiting for Maddie to wake up. So I was watching all of the behind the scenes of every single, um, uh, Ghibli film ever. And I was a little over caffeinated. Okay. Yeah. So I, sh- so I send a lot of text messages to Maddie and she does a good job. She reads all of them. But I wrote this. I said, I want us to write a feature together. And it looks like doc footage of a team trying to get the English lines from American actors match a Japanese film. And it's all of these famous actors coming in and we're playing the directors. And we have to keep leaning over a little mic and going, hey, Carrie Elwes, that was great. Uh, but is there a way you can say the plane is going towards the hospital? The war has begun. It must be because of the river spirit. How? But much faster to sync up with the screen. And I think the frog <laughs> opens his mouth three times. So try to get that in. We're trying to find a way to shorten it, but we're having some issues. Could you just try that again? You're the best. <laughs> like that's the whole movie. It's like these really stressed out directors being like, "No, it's I can't like, butcher this genius's work." No, but like, it's, how do I get it like, all to fit? It's best in show. It's a mockumentary. Yes, I actually like. It, it is like a documentary now um, episode. Yeah, isn't it? It's a good idea that's though. So good because I, I so. 
Yes, and also I love the idea of crafting um, a Miyazaki-like um, film for these people to be. Like, it's not Miyazaki, but it clearly is Miyazaki. And, it, and it's also, yes, very Miyazaki. And also I think it would be... It, it, I think it's a big thing is it's very humbling for all these actors that I'm yeah. watching the behind the scenes. They're so it's like <laughs> they're they're working it's, really it's hard Keaton. and they're yeah they're and, very humble. Yeah, it's like Michael Keaton being like, yeah, it's it's hard because sometimes I would pause, but I can't pause and I have to keep talking. But then I have to like say it in sync when the when the, when the voice when the mouth moves and I and have to say so many sentences but his mouth to moves go, once sophie <laughs> like and so i think as like Come all here, these a listers are now yeah. like having to do something that's really hard oh. um so anyways y'all don't you dare steal the idea for my feature don't it is very specific it's and if you steal it idea. it's gonna be very clear i think um, we should make it i think we should make it i would honestly love that i'm trying to think of what it would be called I would just want to call it dub. Um, uh, dub or um, exit, uh, the cat exits, exit of the cat. <laughs> Listen, until the cat returns. <laughs> All right. Until the cat um, returns, we're, we're your hosts. <laughs> we're, and we're your hosts. And, mm, senpai and kohai. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Lonely Girls, for tuning into this extra special episode about one of the best Lonely Girls that that we have in our camp, mm-hmm. I would say. I'm proud to have Miyazaki as a Lonely Girl, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful that his films have been accessible to me in the refining of my aesthetic, my creative purpose, and my internal philosophy with how I interact with the world. And I'm glad he's been accessible to me at all times for the past five days. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. That is also good. Um, Lonely Girls, if you would like to um, return to us as cats, um, go ahead and check out the Lonely Girls podcast on Instagram mm-hmm. at Lonely Girls Podcast. Mm-hmm. You can uh, find us on you TikTok. Can, you can away my spirit at Turner Madeline on mm-hmm. Instagram and at Madeline Turner on TikTok. And until the cat returns, you can find <laughs> me um, at Rebecca Botter on Instagram and and at Botter Rebecca on TikTok. Um, yes, that I think is it. That's how. That's how the wind rises, and that's how the wind rises, y'all. <laughs> and that's how, and that's how the wind rises. Um, remember, as always, um, to stay lonely, but not alone. Okay, bye. bye.